This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Perhaps the cookie monster said it best when he uttered the phrase, cookie not diet, because cookie is lifestyle. For Tom Carasona, the CMO of Insomnia Cookies, that mantra has never been more true. But after more than two years as the head marketer for Insomnia Cookies, he's learned one key lesson. From a content perspective, authentic cookie shots is what people want, right? They want to see a warm, delicious, melty cookie that you can practically smell through your phone. And that is beautiful. And I remember when I started, I was like, I don't want to just see a string of a zillion photos of cookies. But it turns out that actually that's exactly what people want. As a marketer, it can be hard to go against your creative intuition. But on this episode of Marketing Trends, Tom goes into detail about how Insomnia Cookies has built such a loyal following. And he talks about the importance of using marketing tools that resonate with your brand and why sometimes it's best to just give your audience what they want. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Tom, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing great as well. I'm excited to talk cookies and marketing, two of our favorite things on, on this earth. And, and of course, your background, which is maybe our third thing uh, to talk about on this earth. So before we get into all of our cookie talk, how did you get started in marketing? Sure. So I grew up in the beautiful land of Long Island. So really in the shadow of New York City. And, um, all, you know, the advertising industry is such a huge part of New York City. And so is entertainment in general. And I think, you know, I didn't want to be a lawyer or an investment banker or a doctor. And I don't know that I even had the choice to do any of those things, but uh, I always kind of had a, a dream of doing something really creative and um, advertising was always kind of calling my name. So um, I started uh, with that, right? I went to college, I got my first job at a big ad agency in New York. And um, after a few years kind of working in agencies in New York and Philly, I realized that for me, I want a lot more, I want to say that I'm a control freak, but I wanted to have more influence on marketing in general. Um, and I realized for that to happen, I need to go to the client. Side. So um, I got my MBA while I was working in AdWorld, which was fun. Um, and uh, then hopped over to Comcast, started to do some marketing and getting really deep into kind of the digital and innovation space there. And then I shifted paths and got into food marketing at Aramark. And now, I have the greatest marketing job in the world. I market cookies. It's amazing. Seriously. I mean, you would think that they don't even need to market themselves, but we'll get into that. Um, yeah, tell my boss. <laughs> right. So, yeah, tell us about uh, Insomnia uh, for, for those of our listeners who don't know. Sure. So, Insomnia Cookies is, um, it's, I like to think that we created a category um, of late night warm cookie delivery. So, the best way to think about Insomnia is more like pizza delivery than your traditional, you know, sending cookies uh, to grandma's house on Christmas and they come in at 10, right? So this, they come actually in little pizza boxes, they come warm and fresh, um, and we are, uh, that's our whole thing, warm, delicious, delivered cookies. 
we started, um, Seth Berkowitz, who's my boss, CEO and founder of the company, actually was at University of Pennsylvania, um, and he was a student there. And, you know, he saw this need of late night cravings. And, you know, there's a lot of crappy pizza and cheesesteaks and all types of other things in, in West Philly. And Seth had a craving for sweets and there was z- zero options for him late night. So he decided to create something of his own. Um, so Insomnia Cookies was born basically when one night he started baking up cookies and handing them out on canvas. And uh, when he saw the look in people's eyes of someone giving them a warm, delicious cookie at, you know, one in the morning, um, he realized that he had something special. So fast forward about, you know, 15 years or so, um, and we've got 181 stores as of today, um, you know, nationwide footprint in almost every state. We can do nationwide shipping. And uh, it's just an awesome, beloved brand. Like, we're, we're still really core to the college audience. It's really important to us. It's where we started and got our roots. Um, but we're also growing uh, tremendously. And uh, people love cookies. And uh, we have just an amazing, amazing selection of them and keep pushing the envelope even more. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the the, the story in a, a very short nutshell. And so, what does marketing look like at Insomnia Cookies? Obviously, you have in person locations, which adds a huge level of complexity to and, and like you know cool things that you can do. And from that you know perspective, obviously, it's very localized, but you also ship nationally. So, what does uh, yeah, what does it look like? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because when I I started about two years ago, and the the strategy in the past and how we got to kind of where we are today was very much grassroots based local, local, local marketing, right? Because the way that we open is unlike other QSRs, let's just say, who will say, okay, we're going to enter into the market of Phoenix, for example, and we're going to open up 35 stores there and we're going to do DMA wide marketing and build the brand at the market level. We might pick one location in one state and say that's actually the right location for us because there's a college there and it's our demographics and everything like that um and then we open up a store so you can't you, know, you can't do this market-wide mass media um and that local grassroots marketing events connecting in the community uh, local marketing uh, reps or, or brand ambassadors like really you know building kind of from the store level out was was the strategy as we've grown from you know 30 stores to 50 to now 180, uh, we're trying to move to more scalable marketing. So um, being really smart about digital, social, given our audience, I mean, for every brand right now is obviously social is huge, but um, especially for our, you know, 18 to 24 year old kind of core, it's, it's really huge and connecting with influencers is massive and trying to figure out how do we kind of balance that like local, you know, we're part of the community with, with the broader scalable marketing is kind of what we're, we're working with right now. And so what does your team look like? We have a creative group. So traditional creative team, we've got a creative director, we've got some graphic designers and junior creatives um, and, and copywriters that are doing a lot of the content creation. Um, we have a digital team focused on digital marketing and, and social media. We have a brand kind of strategy group uh, that supports me on marketing planning, brand strategy, the calendar, you know, working uh, with innovation and really um, building out the, the strategy and the plan. And the last group is what we call marketing activation. Think of it more as uh, field marketing. So um, we have uh, marketing managers that were, are responsible for certain groups of stores or regions and making sure that they're focused on the health. Um, if the store is struggling, how do we put together a plan to make sure that's doing well? Or if a store is doing really well, how do we take that information 
uh, figure out what's working. The other group that I uh, manage is actually the Cookievation team or research and development, if you will. It's basically our, our R&D group. So let's talk marketing cookies. Uh, not just cookies, I should say. Cakes, witches, ice cream. I have not had insomnia cookies yet. It's something we're going to remedy after this after this episode for sure. Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking at the uh, the big witch as a uh, as a potential option here. But so I, I'm curious, like, what are the things that you're trying to get for you know uh, a share a mind share? Um, you know, what are what are people looking for? How do they find you? Like, what are the, what are the sort of uh, levers that you you all are trying to pull as marketers? Sure. I, you know, a lot of it goes back to why we exist in the first place, right? Like the, the consumer need I described um, back when Seth came up with Insomnia Cookies was a alternative for the late night kind of craving, right? And, and you know, there's this, you know, midnight snack is something that's been around forever. And usually it's someone sneaking down to their fridge and getting a scoop of ice cream. Um, we created the brand for the midnight snack and made it a reality, right? We delivered till three in the morning, ice cream, cookies, big witches, cookie witches, et cetera. Um, so we really try to kind of continue to tap into that need as the number one thing. What's so, and, and how that's kind of manifest itself is for us, cookies were more of an immediate indulgence need, right? So I'm a student, I'm at the library late, oh man, I could really use a cookie. Let me get it right now. Insomnia is there, we'll deliver to you. I'm back from the parties or I'm stumbling home from the bar. Same thing, like instead of getting, you know, cheesesteaks in Philly or pizza in New York, let's pop a new insomnia and grab ice creams and cookies. Um, but it was always about this like immediate need for indulgence. We were able to deliver on that. Um, and there's something really powerful about that. You know, there's not a long decision process. So our marketing has to kind of fit into that. The other um, key insight is that insomnia was typically like a social group effort, right? Like all those examples, you're typically with people. You're with your roommates. You're at the library with studying with friends. You're coming home from the bars. Um, you're with your family watching Netflix. Um, but there's this kind of like shared mentality and social sort of occasion that's happening. Um, so all of our marketing was trying to like grab people in the moment or just introduce that like, you may not even realize that that's what you need right now or that insomnia, like this, this magical, you know, cookie machine that can show up at your house exists. Um, so we're really trying to use our marketing to be smart about like getting right in front of those moments. The last year as it's 2020 and curveballs are what we're all receiving um, has really allowed us to shift a little bit. Cause like people love cookies all the time too. And what we've been doing in the last year in terms of shifting strategies and marketing focus has been really more as a growth opportunity, um, focusing on the gifting occasion, right? Like gifting cookies to your neighbor, to Aunt Edna, to um, your best friend, to mom and dad, Mother's Day, you know, Father's Day, Thanksgiving, whatever that might be, but kind of using that core and then growing into that kind of gifting. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, that's such a different mind space to market to, right? Like tr being top of mind when someone is, uh, you know, uh, a, a zombie at, at, at midnight and wants a midnight craving versus somebody who's like, ah, I should get mom a gift. Like those, those seem like they're two very different realities. Yeah, it definitely. And it, you know, it was definitely a bit of a pivot point for us to, to get through that. Um, but a lot of what, you know, I kind of described in the first half, 
we're still focusing on, right? Like people are still up late. They're still with other people um, and they still have cravings for a cookie or a sweet indulgence like right now. And in some ways, COVID has actually allowed us to be exposed to even more people with that need. And, you know, delivery being kind of core to our business is also going to help us out there. So it's really a mix for us um, and a lot of the marketing that we do. And the, the main shift for us has been moving away from that, like, local kind of event focused um, strategy of the past, which doesn't really work right now, to more targeted digital, um, lots of influencer work, and then, you know, getting as, as ahead of PR as we can, like really allowing us to kind of fit into the uh, collective consciousness of the world, where do, the, where do cookies fit in naturally and how do we make sure that insomnia is kind of top of mind. Have there been any challenges in the past year, you know, regarding delivery and uh, and marketing and timeliness and things like that? We were extremely lucky that delivery was part of our business um, from day one. So um, unlike many other companies that had to pivot from that, we, we were set up. I think for us, it was all about, you know, focusing on insomniac safety. Um, both. And when we say insomniacs, we actually mean um, our employees and our customers. We like to think that if you want to work for insomnia cookies, you have to be as fanatical about our cookies and our brand as our customers. The idea of community is really important to us. But anyway, when I say insomniacs, I mean both sides of the insomniac coin. Um, so safety was number one. And, you know, we had to quickly pivot to figure all that stuff out, just like every other company did. And then quickly pivot like to how do we, how does marketing change for us? What are those opportunities? You know, the, the big thing for us, the biggest challenge that happened to us was that in March, colleges were the, really the first kind of area to be affected by COVID, right? Like Harvard and Stanford shut down and basically everyone else went home right after that. That meant that a large chunk of our audience was no longer where we were. Um, so that really became a moment where we had to figure out what does this mean for us? Can we bring in new audiences? Can we follow our audiences home? Um, can we stay in their lives? Can we feel, you know, can we keep that community of insomnia uh, connected even if uh, the, the students are displaced? What are some of the channels that you've been using over the past year uh, or just in general that that are really working? So for us, I mean, digital is is huge for us. Um, and we have a mix of lots of social content, paid support, a mix of local and some national for like shipping. Um, we do do some search. Um, but I think what's been you know biggest for us is really a combination of getting exposure for dunt and PR type moments. And then really kind of digging in with like the influencer community, finding those right influencers, you know, not paying for influencers that are not authentically already in love with insomnia, like kind of like back to the idea of you have to love insomnia to work here. I don't want to pay, you know, Charlie D'Amelio a million dollars to promote insomnia if she's never heard of insomnia. Like we, we only want to work with people that are already love our brand and can help us accelerate that. So that's important for us. But anyway, that's been um, an area of growth for us for sure. And then I think digital, we've just like sharpened our, our uh, weapons in digital and, and gotten smarter or trying new things and closer to, you know, balancing that mix of performance driven marketing and awareness driving marketing. And our brand is still relatively small, right? Even at 181 stores, um, you know, when you work for the brand and you run, the, the marketing department, you're also, you also kind of almost always assume that you're a little bigger than you are. Um, so kind of trying to get rid of that and, and realize that you need to kind of continue to double down. There's one key influencer that I haven't seen you all partner with, but perhaps 
uh, you have. Have you thought about going after Cookie Monster? <laughs> um, we have some fun Twitter conversations with Cookie Monster. <laughs> he's um, he's he loves our cookies. He's a New York guy. Uh, we haven't opened a location on Sesame Street yet. Yeah, I seen. It seems like the uh, it's kind of one of those double edged swords because you don't want the uh, uh, you don't want to let the monster too close to the product. You know, you do a video shoot and <laughs> you could have a downturn quarter just based off the video shoot alone. I don't want to say that he's a messy guy, but you know, can't control him. Also, not not the most COVID friendly eater, <laughs> right? I've never seen him with a mask on, but yeah. So, you know, social is one of your channels. Uh, obviously, it's really hard to do social well. How do you how do you think about it? I think everything has to start with content. You know, I think I use the word authentic um, as it relates to influencers, but it has to be the same with with our content. So we really try to get the content right. I, honestly, like we've been going through a big brand transformation of the last six months and we're still working on that, trying to figure out what really works and what doesn't. But what we keep coming back to is from a content perspective, authentic cookie shots is what people want, right? They want to see a warm, delicious, melty, you know, uh, cookie that you could practically smell through your phone. And that is, is beautiful. And I remember when I started, I was like, I don't want to just see a string of a zillion photos of, of cookies. But um, it turns out that actually that's exactly what people want. And then I think the other part of that is like, how do we actually engage with that community, right? Like having real conversations, we've had some really fun kind of Twitter moments with our fans, with other brands, um, but just being like letting that personality shine. I like to say that, um, you know, when you describe to someone that you work for a cookie company that delivers warm cookies to three in the morning, you don't have to do too much more to kind of get across what the brand personality probably is. And we really try to, um, let that shine on our social channels and have some fun. Um, so it starts with content. And then the next layer is just trying to figure out audience and how do you amplify the message to the right audience at the right time. I mean, it's, I, I started in advertising as a media planner. So like I have a lot of like right media, right moment, right time kind of philosophies. And I think all of those core elements ring true no matter what the platform is, whether it's, you know, a print buy from 1999 or, you know, trying to figure out TikTok. You mentioned field marketing. This is something that uh, I love talking about. I think it's super, super fun, especially for products like yours. Uh, actually, all field marketing I love to talk about. But it's really interesting because the way that you can deploy field marketers, like what they do, everything from, you know, the person, you know, twirling the sign on the street corner to, uh, you know, to everything in between. How do you, how do you approach field marketing? So we used to have a, in the last year and a half, we've, we've moved a little bit away from field marketing, mostly though, because of what's going on in the world and, and moved to more scalable marketing. What has worked for us is deploying what I call like boots on the ground or like hand-to-hand -hand combat marketing. So we used to have a large group, we call them marketing reps, but think of them as, as brand ambassadors that were basically an extension of my team. So we had two of them per store um, and their job were to be the voice of insomnia in that market, right? And especially when you're marketing to college students, having someone on campus at the frat party, at the football game, like you can't do that 
with a with a traditional marketing team, you have to have like those kind of part time voices of the brand in the field, and they also have to be insomniacs, right? They have to be to be super passionate about the the brand. So that really worked well for us in kind of a normal non COVID world. Um, you know, being able to have that authentic connection, having a one on one conversation, I think it does it, it it doesn't lend itself well to scale. Um, and as we get to 150, 200, 300 stores, it gets really hard to manage. You know, hiring, scheduling, texting with you know hundreds of kids uh, or, or people in the field, it, it gets really complicated. But that was something that really has helped us get to where we are. I think field marketing now is more about having a pulse on the stores and then having a toolkit that you can deploy to improve sales or whatever the goal that you're trying to reach might be. Um, we've really tried to move towards creating that toolkit and being able to apply it, you know, to a store in Manhattan and also a store in Eugene, Oregon. Um, and trying to figure out what are the common ways that you're going to improve sales or, you know, improve the engagement in the community um, from afar. And, and we've made some nice uh, strides there. Yeah. So yeah, you mentioned the the communication with the field as, as a, as a kind of a tricky part to that. Like, how do you manage that? Who manages that? So right now, any marketing is, is all run through our team um, in terms of the communication. The field marketing is very limited and it's all kind of, kind of like headquarter field marketing. So like I've got people that are dedicated to regions, but they're all um, headquarters employees. So it's not like a franchise model where you might have someone who works for the Southeast franchise and is a marketing manager for that region. I've got all corporate employees that are all connected or two different regions of the country. So everything kind of flows that that part of it is easy relatively. Um, I think the hardest part is really getting all the way to the, to the store at the manager level to the, our GMs. Um, and then all the way really down to like what we call our bakers. So at the front line, the, the insomniacs that are talking to insomniacs that are selling cookies to insomniacs. How do we make sure that, you know, the deals that we're working on are, are connecting or, they know what the latest, you know, cookie lab, LTO cookie is. I think there's still work to be done there. You know, I've experienced this before in past jobs and I've never seen it work perfectly. Um, but we're, we're trying via our ops partners. We're starting to use things like Slack to connect a little bit more with the field org um, and just have more of a constant kind of uh, conversation. But it, it's still... It's still uh, still a, a bit of a challenge to have that connection from CMO all the way down to Baker be really really clear. I always wonder how marketing teams see those like high performing field marketers because they can have such a huge impact on a on a local market, right? If you have someone who kind of just one of those like Maven connector kind of people who knows everybody, I I'll just make something up, but it's like you know the captain of the swim team or something like that, right? Um, that knows tons of people that they could really help out a store, right? They could like really do a lot of different stuff to help that out. Whereas somebody else who doesn't have that sort of network, like how do you know? Like how would you how would you know? And then conversely, you know, a lot of the stores that potentially, you know, need people out there on the ground that can really like help them that might not be able to be as, as good at the, as the marketing piece. It's just, it's, it's a tough thing to like vet and figure out that talent. Um, but if you went to like a bunch of the store store owners, they might be like, Oh yeah, you know, Jane is like the best, uh, 
the best person ever. The, tons of people come here because Jane sends them. But like you, how would you right. know that as a marketer? How do you harness that information to share it? And how do you scale it too, right? Like there's only so many Janes out there. Like the stores, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of like kind of snowflake reality out there too, right? Like, I don't know that I have the recipe for that. We're, we're still trying to figure that out. Our key thing here is really being as connected to ops as we can, because at the end of the day, like none of us are here without them. And um, they have that pulse of the community. And we really look at them too as, as an extension of the marketing teams. Like we encourage our general managers to get to know their customer names, to be connected with the universities if it happens to be a college-based school or store, I should say. You know, hand out cookies during the week to local businesses and just kind of make those connections. So what's next for Insomnia? What's next for Insomnia? So... We've been really focused in the last year on um, Cookievation. We've always had kind of a cookie lab, this Cookievation kitchen where we're coming up with the next cookie or cookie ice cream combo or crazy thing that no one ever has heard of. Um, but this year we took that idea and actually extended it um, externally as well. So now we're really celebrating um, innovation both to our employees and to our, our customer insomniacs and really putting it at the forefront. So we went from doing maybe four limited time offer cookies a year to like two a month and really trying to push the flavor profile, bring in new insomniacs, invest in places where we can bring to build the community. For example, we just launched three new vegan cookies that are permanent um, additions to our menu. We didn't really have a huge vegan um, selection before. We had like one cookie at a select, at a few select stores. Now we've got three permanent menu items, and we've seen that community grow tremendously for us. So cookievation, innovation in the product space is going to continue to be really um, at the forefront of what we do. And um, there's some other categories that we're really starting to play around with. You don't want to be forgotten. The other half of that is like, we don't want to figure out about the core, right? Like the, the core cookies, our classic cookies, um, our nine classic cookies are what got us here, and we need to continue to push ourselves and then, like, what are the things that are on the horizon are, are growth mode still, you know, like we're still in opening stores. We're going to try to open more stores than ever next year, getting into new markets. I think looking at store format is really interesting for us. You know, we have kind of the, the city store figured out, the kind of college centric store figured out. But, you know, there's a lot of other markets out there that might be right for an insomnia in a different format. Um, so we're, we're playing around with that a little bit. And then the other thing that I kind of talked about earlier is that, our brand, right? Like we we're in the midst of a brand transition right now, um, you know, doubling down on uh, who we are, our personality, and then branding elements, look and feel. Um, you're going to start to see more enhanced digital experiences and just bigger brand opportunities. How do we do bigger stunts? How do we get the insomnia name to be more of a cultural phenomenon and, you know, on top of people's minds all year long? The vegan stuff is really fascinating to me. We have, um, I live in Northern California, so we have like, you know, every single type of vegan options and, and meatless options and all sorts of, you know, different things, um, vegetarian and vegan and, and, uh, and everything here. You know, it's really interesting that I think you see kind of this, uh, this change in shopping, especially since COVID, um, of people that just want to go to a place that's like, I trust them to do 
to prepare food the way that I want it prepared, right? So like there's a there's a there's a restaurant now called Vegan Mob and it's just packed all the time, right? Cuz you're like, "Hey, that's you know, that's where I want to go and you know, people showcase vegan options all the time now in a way that, you know, I I don't know if it's the same way cuz I haven't left this area in a year, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if it's the same way across the country, but it is such an interesting thing uh to position around as things like that come up. And not to say that it's like a trend per se, um, but it's something that like, you can really build a position around as a marketer. And, um, and it's, it's a great way to segment your customers and to deliver that. Right. It's like, if you're the number one, you know, vegan cookie on the planet, like that's a massive market. Right. So, and, and, you know, you have all the delivery capabilities and stuff that you have. So it, it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, idea and, and just, you know, uh, gives me gives me ideas for other ways that marketers could could segment and do things like that. There's millions of insomniacs out there, but if I'm vegan, I don't have an option for insomnia. So what what we started was how does that philosophy kind of fit for us? Um, and then we have this other concept of cookies first. So we have a vegan category now, but we started with the cookie. It has to be a good cookie. It just happens to also be vegan. Like that's how we were really trying to position it. So. I would challenge anyone out there to walk into any of our stores and try a vegan cookie. They are unbelievably good. Um, and we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have made the commitment that we're making. It's not just an LTO around vegan, but a new category that will continue to exist and grow unless we felt, you know, a thousand percent confident that it was going to be as good as any other cookie on the menu. What about dairy free? Uh, yeah. So we're, we're actually testing dairy free ice cream in a few markets. So yeah, same thing, right? We're, we're looking at that as another big opportunity and gluten-free as well. If there's insomniacs out there that can't enjoy our products because of a dietary preference or need, um, we're going to try to find a way to make sure that they can be satisfied. What about some of the other channels like, you know, TikTok and, and, uh, and Instagram and, and the different social channels? Um, are you doing any, uh, any experiments or things that are, that are fun or relevant? Yeah, so we did, um, TikTok's been a really interesting channel for probably every marketer in the last year and a half. I, did, I don't know? think that's true. I think it's been something every marketer has been thinking about, uh, and many of them have no idea what to do or how to use it or why to use it or anything like that. We, we, we actually were just talking about this offline with a CMO where they were like, a middle-aged guy, and he was saying, he's like, I'm the only person who uses TikTok on my whole marketing team because my my daughters <laughs> use it. And so I want to use it. So I know what's going on. And he's like, every single other person doesn't use it. And so it, I think that it actually is the opposite. I think certain marketing teams are like really deep in it. And then lots of other ones are are not even dipping their toe in the water yet. For us, I was the same way. Like I've got little kids I, uh, I like to think of myself as like the world's oldest millennial. Um, and I've been like really, or Gen Z, or I should say, um, I, I started the same thing. I was like, okay, TikTok's interesting. It's growing like crazy. Let me get in there and understand what the heck it is. And the one thing I learned as a consumer on there, because I immediately started to follow any brand I could as well, was we're not going to just jump in if we don't have a plan. And I really wanted to figure out what that would be. Um, and I think we were, we could have started TikTok much, much earlier, but I didn't feel confident the brand was ready, the strategy was ready, or, the, or we really had a plan. So we, we kind of had this moment in time back in September where 
we have this marquee event. So we have this thing called the pajama party, which is our kind of fall welcome back to school event. Um, we started actually last year and it basically what it is, is a, a late night grand opening at every single store at the same time. And we have, it's a party at every store. There's hundreds of people waiting in line to get into every store to get cookies, to get special swag. I mean, it was such an awesome, incredible event. This year threw a little bit of a wrench at us that you can't really obviously have hundreds of people waiting in line to get into stores. What does PJ party mean in 2020? Um, and how do you still have that sense of community and that welcome back and that like connection with insomnia at the beginning of the, the school year? We, um, we worked with one of our agencies to put together this like viral song, um, kind of a play on WAP, which was also very big, if you remember that lovely song back in September. Sure. Um, and uh, we created a music video about mouth pajamas. And that was our launch um, to TikTok. Is it our most successful video on TikTok? No, but I felt really confident that it was the right step for us to get onto TikTok. It was fun, silly. It connected to this kind of, you know, 2020 version of PJ Party uh, where we handed out mouth, uh, mouth pajamas and um, were, you know, very safe and socially distant. But um, it just felt right for us and it was really fun. And then since then, we've just kind of been experimenting. You know, that's the other thing. Like, I have the luxury of having a brand where, we can have fun and experiment and try silly things and some things works and some don't. I think our second or third video we posted got like 2 million views or almost 2 million views within like three days. And it was just cookies in a box and icing that you dip in. So kind of like a Dunkaroo, but grown up. And just the video of that went totally viral and people were like losing their minds over it. So you never know what's going to work. You know, we spent you know very little time on that video. It was just a fun little thing. Um, but I think having like established, you know, our strategy, um, you know, the core idea of what TikTok should be. Yeah. So who on your team like does stuff like that? You mentioned the creative kind of group. Do you have, you know, a group of folks that are, uh, that are just kind of grinding away on ideas and stuff like that, that you can feed the beast? There's this like never ending Slack channel of crazy insomnia of ideas. It's almost like this whiteboard that we've never erased of where we really kind of accept, especially, you know, it's the creative team, myself and the social kind of team, like we really try to encourage constant, like, hey, I read this thing and what about this? And like someone will build on it. And next thing you know, we've got mouth pajamas. It's almost like, you know, back in the day when you're on instant messenger with your friends and I don't know, my friends were wacky and creative and we build off of others, each other's ideas and kind of took that same idea and just make it like always living. It's nothing that's formal. Um, and then of course we have all the formal creative meetings and social media, content planning strategies, but a lot of the best ideas come out of this like never ending, you know, love of insomnia sandbox that we have. And there's a lot of really, um, you know, things that'll go right to the graveyard ideas, but there's, there's some real gold in there. And what we try to do is, find the ones that fit with the strategy. And then we also have like some really good creative partners that sometimes we'll take a, like we took mouth pajamas to our, one of our creative partners here in Philly and said, we have like the kernel of an idea here, help us bring it to life. And then they came back and wrote the rap song and we shot the video and it all kind of came to life. All right, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce 
put your customer at the center of every interaction. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more lightning round questions. Tom, are you ready? I'm ready. Are there points? Uh, yeah, we could do points. I'll give you points. Oh, uh, okay. Number one, what's your favorite type of cookie? Ooh, great question. It has changed. My new favorite cookie is our deluxe salted caramel cookie. Ooh. It is fire, as the kids say. Fire emojis. I'll give that in eight points. Out of okay. eight, though. Oh, well, then great. <laughs> I love, love some salted caramel. Mm, so good. This is actually not a lightning round question, but I, I forgot to ask this. So we, we talk a lot about like marketing data on this podcast, but do you have any data? I'm sure you must about like how many order times happen between like 2 and 3 a.m. We know pretty much when every order comes in at any time. So I can't give you exactly what that number is, but we still do quite a bit of business in that last hour that we're open. That's so great. A younger Ian would definitely, definitely be the one uh, ordering cookies for everybody at, uh, at 2 a.m. Not much of anything else open from 2 or 3 in the morning. I like name three other stores. Yeah, no, there's not. And then you'd have to drive there, which is a no, no bueno. Yeah. Okay, back to the lightning round. Do you have a favorite uh, book or podcast or TV show or something that you've been binging recently? Two favorite marketing books, Old School Ogilvy on Advertising, got me started. And then um, Fix, which is all about cult marketing, has really been one that I love a lot. TV shows, I'm way late to the game on this, but my wife and I are binge watching 10 seasons, um, Shameless, which people have been telling me about for a long, long, long time. And I worked at Comcast when it was actually on. Um, but a really great show, and it's uh, proving to take up a lot of time of ours, which has been great. Do you have a hobby or something that you've picked up during 2020 in our shelter in place? Oh, man, I'm so embarrassed to say what it is. <laughs> it's so lame. It's so lame. I got a Peloton, and I'm one of those people now. Oh, don't worry. I, there's no, there's no, uh, no shame I for that. I saw some meme. It was like, how do you know if someone has a Peloton? Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> well, you know, I we uh, uh, Hillary is our resident Peloton expert. Who's uh, who's who's? I'm like Hillary. What do you want? She's like, I'm on my bike eight hours a day. What do you want? Uh, no, she's never said that. That was that's actually a Lance Armstrong commercial from like 2001. Um, but uh, no, yeah, that's great. Hey, let's let's advocate for health. I love it. I'm here. Listen, I'm all about health, but I wish I could be like, oh, I started, you know, craft brewing in my garage or I can knit now or nope. I just ride and talk about Pelotoning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hillary gives you 500 points for your answer. So thank you, Hillary. We're friends now forever. And also you got to work off a few of those late night cookies, you know? So there you go. Yeah. Best advice for a first time CMO. Ooh, good one. I, you know, I think two things. One is don't forget about the basics like the fundamentals of marketing all the stuff that you learned is still all relevant even if the shiny object of the day is different right whether it's TikTok or some new technology thing that i don't even know what it is like all those core basic marketing things that you learned in school or your career or from your from your leaders in the past are all still really relevant i think that's one thing um that i would reinforced with anybody that is a future or new CMO. And the other thing would be 
don't be afraid to break the box that you were given, but do it with care. Uh, you know, I think if you're coming in as a marketer or a new CMO, you're going to be expected to probably make some changes. Um, and I think, you know, don't be afraid to do that. And, but, you know, do it in a way that's uh, careful. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Uh, like, I don't know, maybe my most proud moment as a insomnia cookies marketer. How about that? Yeah, sure. What's the answer? Um, well, besides this podcast, I think, you know, not to sound uh, cheesy, but like just battling through 2020, both at the, at the executive level and really down to the store level, like has been probably my proudest moment, right? This is, this is a year where we didn't, and, and not that we're a company that does this, but like we didn't run this company um, and the, the strategies from the quote unquote ivory tower. Like we really kind of did it hand in hand with every insomniac out there. And I'm really proud of the work that I did and our team did um, and the company did to kind of battle through what's been, you know, the most insane year of, of, of my life for sure. So I'm really, I'm really proud of that. And on top of that, like being able to rebrand the company, launch silly things like mouth pajamas um, and have some fun doing it. And, uh, probably the most proud achievement in my last two years. Well, Tom, that's it. That's all we got for today. Uh, obviously, our listeners should check out uh, Insomnia Cookies if you've if you've never done it, like I have never done it. But we got one in San Francisco. Who knew? I didn't even know. Check that out, and you can learn learn some of the uh, secrets to marketing while you're snacking on one of the cookies. Uh, anything else, Tom? No, I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate the time, and uh, thanks again. This is a really fun time. Awesome. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. 
Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.